Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we are mindful of those faithful saints who have gone before us and maintained the good confession. We are thankful for the faith of the patriarchs, the hope of the prophets, and the labors of the apostles. We appreciate the evangelists and the faithful pastors and teachers of your word who have converted and equipped the saints. We are grateful for the martyrs who stood firm to the end, maintaining their testimony as they joined in the sufferings of Christ. Moreover, we would give thanks for the courageous men who fought the corruption of doctrine and practice in your church and opposed the traditions of men at great, great cost to themselves. And finally, Lord, we would not forget today the multitude of unseen saints through the ages, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, neighbors, and even strangers who have held firm in the faith and passed the gospel torch down through the years so that it arrived with all of its glorious power to save even us. We know that many are still persecuted today for Christ's sake, and we pray that your mercy and comfort would be felt by them today. Strengthen them and embolden them in every situation. Grant them the consolations of which they have need and overrule their present sufferings to their eternal good. We know that some of our brothers and sisters live in fear and in need. Meet their needs in Christ. Some are in prison. Be with them even as you were with Joseph, Daniel, Paul, and Silas. Use them even in these dark places. Advance your kingdom through the testimony of your faithful people. Father, it appears that your judgment is upon this land, and rightly so. But in your judgment, we pray that you would remember your people, those who have not bowed the knee to Baal, and that you would remember mercy. Grant us all the grace of repentance. Frustrate the plans of the wicked. Establish the righteous. Advance your kingdom and so we continue to pray for our national, state, and local leaders as they deal with this current pandemic, that they would seek your face and that you would grant them wisdom. O oh Lord our God, never let us foolishly think that any battle, spiritual or material, has been won by our power. Remove all pride from us and give us implicit trust in, in, trust in you and desire for you to have the glory. In the battles of this day, be they personal or national, let us lean upon your everlasting arms and have true victory. Instruct now our minds to, and keep us sober that we might hope fully in your grace. Neither let us be afraid or ashamed of the gospel, for it is the light of the world, proclaiming the saving work of the Savior and proclaiming the victory that is in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Hear now God's Word. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, 
For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, Amen. With the coronavirus upon us, we've all had our routines disrupted. How quickly things can change. Our routines, of course, can be good, but sometimes our routines are such that they can lull us to sleep regarding some very important things in our lives. We can grow dull or bored or just simply take things for granted or not take them seriously enough. That kind of neglect can lead to ruin. We might have fallen asleep at the wheel. The writer of the book of Hebrews describes those who have grown dull of hearing. Our text says, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. And so I would suggest this morning that our current turn of events should provide a wake-up call for all of us. We have a disintegrating culture with a broken moral compass. Now, most of us have grown up with the Bible in some form. Perhaps you grew up in a family where the Bible was very important. You went to church regularly. You were taught the Bible. Perhaps you memorized Scripture. Or perhaps it was just background, uh, a sort of cultural assumption that was around you. You didn't think about it directly, but there it was. The, the teachings of the Bible were still present in the culture. And this was far more true when I was a boy than it is now. But in both cases, God's Word or God's law, and I'm going to use those terms interchangeably today, has provided boundaries, has provided certain standards. The Bible has given us and many unbelievers an assumed standard of right and wrong. But as an absolute universal standard of truth, it has now been cast aside by the so-called wise people of our modern day, and we have now been swallowed alive by a postmodern assurance that no such universal standard exists. We will define ourselves. We will do our own thing. We will write our own rules. So it's undeniable that our nation and in many places the church have moved away from having the Bible as the clear authoritative standard for life. As a nation, we've drifted away from God's law. And it is now seen, the Bible is now seen as old-fashioned, outdated, antiquated. And so here we sit, asleep at the wheel, wondering what's wrong with the world. According to Scripture, God gave His perfect law to govern us and the world, and He gave it to us because He loves us. He created us and the world, and He knows 
what the world needs in order to operate at its best. He reveals his, his law in three overlapping ways. First, he, he reveals it through the creation. He reveals who he is and that he's the creator and he's all-powerful and all-knowing, all-wise. And so we learn much about what God thinks and, and what his rules are and how we should function in this world just by looking around us and seeing that. But he also created us, created us in his image. That's the second way. And the Bible tells us that he wrote his law in our hearts. And so we will often say that something like, well, everyone knows that's wrong. Well, we, and the question is, why does everyone know that? The Bible says everyone knows it because they're created in God's image and his law is written on our hearts. The third way that God teaches us and gives us his rules and his laws is through the scriptures, the special revelation of God. It's been written out. It's an instruction manual, if you will, for the world that we live in. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 23 says, What may be known of God is manifest in them, that is, in people, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are, that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without an excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful in their hearts, but, they are, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So this describes our world. It describes our nation. We have cast off God's rules, God's laws, and substituted a very different set of rules and laws and causes, things that we live for, things that we've elevated to the priority list, the top of the list, and so we have things all mixed up. We want to do it our way, which again explains the mess that we're in. We've fallen asleep to God's law, and perhaps he is now shaking our bed starting with his people, starting with the church. Our text says that the whole world lies in darkness, and we know what kinds of things go on in the darkness. And it, the text calls for us to cast off the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light and to walk properly as in the day. In other words, he wants us to wake up. It's Time to get up and to look around and to see again. Now, I started this series last week, and the title of the series is asking the question, what's wrong with the world? You do think something's wrong with the world, don't you? And so last week we started our story, like most stories start, in the beginning. Things were pretty good. Things were very good. Adam and Eve were strolling around in paradise. They, they had everything they needed and then some. In fact, everything was given to them with one exception, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The rule or the law that God gave was pretty simple, and here it is. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Simple enough. Very clear. They lived in a world full of yes with one no. It was a test, a pass-fail test, but it was a pretty simple test. God knew what was good for Adam and Eve. Trusting God, living in paradise, a loving husband, a loving wife with soon-to-be perfect children. Everything was beautiful. And if this were the end of the story, we would just add this normal tagline, and they lived happily ever after. But there was something rotten in Denmark. Something was about to go wrong. Satan asked the fundamental question, Has God said? And then he went on to challenge the integrity of God. When Adam and Eve abandoned their faith in God and His Word, it was all over but the crying. They were now broken, and the world that they lived in was now broken, and that is what's wrong with the world. In order for there to be good and loving relationships, there must be some definitions, some rules, some laws that govern those relationships. This blissful covenant relationship between man and God and other persons, as well as the whole creation, was really conditioned upon two things. That thing, those two things are faith, faith in God, and love for God. All Adam had to do as an expression of his love for God was to believe what God said. God's law is a reflection of, a transcript of his character. Thus, to go against law, uh, God's law is to go against God himself. It is to disregard him. Loving and believing him would be the obvious, would obviously be, the, be demonstrated through obedience and faithfulness. And so Adam's obedience was the first fruit of faith that gave him a right or a loving relationship with God. Jesus would tell his disciples later in John 14, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Our relationship with God, our fellowship or our separation from, uh, fellowship with him or separation from him is always the fruit of either belief or unbelief in his word and in his law. So, God's law is an expression of his love for us. When we believe what God says, we express our love for him and we obey what he says. This is also how we show love for our neighbors. We, uh, According to our text, if you love your neighbors, for example, you won't commit adultery or murder or you won't steal or you won't bear false witness or you won't covet. That's how we love our neighbors. Look around you at the culture. What's wrong with the world? We don't love God. We don't love His law. We don't 
love our neighbors. And much of this has become the new law so that, for example, sexual promiscuity, abortion, theft by taxation and debt, slanderous talk, and unending covetousness are embedded in our laws. We call evil good and good evil. We think we're kinder than God and we're going to determine good and evil for ourselves and look around you, this is what we get. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Of course, we think the answer to that problem is simply to redefine love. I remember reading a story some years ago when Amtrak was... uh, was starting up, and they kept up with their on-time rates. I assume they still do that. But they had a definition for on-time, and on-time was five minutes on either side of a predicted arrival time. Well, their on-time rates were getting worse and worse, and so someone had the brilliant solution that we could fix this by redefining the term on-time. And so on-time now means... 30 minutes either side of a predicted arrival time. And so the problem is solved. Well, our culture tries to do the same thing with love. So, for example, we're told that love means, in effect, letting me do whatever I want to do. And if you love me, you will approve of whatever it is I want to do. Otherwise, you're a hater. Of course... I'll return the favor to you and let you do whatever you want to do, maybe, as long as it doesn't interrupt me too much. Love, as expressed in God's law, though, is always about self-sacrifice for the sake of others. It's about seeking their good, even if it means putting limits on yourself. Now, of course, there are many fine examples of people sacrificing for the sake of others right now in the midst of this pandemic. But there's no shortage of the opposite. Crisis has a way of sorting out and demonstrating both. Suddenly, those who have no regard for the life of an unborn child are very concerned about preserving life, especially their own. And in some cases, there are those who profess to care very much about the unborn that don't seem at all concerned about their elderly neighbors. When we abandon God's absolute standard, his laws for our own laws, then we should expect the world to go wrong. Just as faith always precedes obedience, unbelief always precedes disobedience. In his covenant with Adam, God set boundaries and defined man's relationship to all things. Not believing and doing what God says is a sin either not doing what God says to do or doing what he says not to do, and sin is what kills us. Sin, the wages of sin is death. Sin always separates, separates us from God, separates us from one another, and it is what's wrong with the world. God's word was the law that that gave and that preserves life. And so to abandon God's word is to separate yourself from God and to die. Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. Jesus said, man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
So at the heart of God's law is love. God loves us by informing us through his word regarding the way to blessing and to happiness and to life. We love him by believing what he tells us and obeying what he says. Joshua 22.5, but take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. So if the law is given for our good, God's law is given for our good, and it's an expression of God's love for us, and if believing God and keeping his law is the way to our blessing and our happiness, why, why do we hate law so much. We don't like rules. Well, actually, we don't hate rules and laws. We just hate other people's rules and laws, including God's. We love our own rules, and we love to apply our rules to other people. We, like Adam and Eve, want to determine good and evil for ourselves. So here's an easy thought experiment for any of you who have been a parent or have seen parents. Let's put your three-year-old or your six-year-old in charge. Now, wouldn't that be the loving thing for you to do, to let them decide for themselves what's good and what's bad? We would never want to restrict their freedom or question their judgment, right? We don't want them to cry. We don't want them to be unhappy, do we? And so we say, sweetie pie, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. You can go where you want to go, touch what you want to touch, watch whatever you want to watch, say whatever you want to say, go to bed whenever you want to go to bed. And don't you just love to be around children like that? Who have that kind of freedom? Of course, I trust that most of you realize there are good reasons why three-year-olds shouldn't be the boss of anyone, including themselves. That would not be loving them or anyone else. That would be a broken world. Now, that doesn't ever stop a three-year-old from trying to be in charge, but a loving parent has rules, has laws. And they enforce those laws for the good of the child and for the good of everyone else. Being told no and being told because I said so is central to learning how to love God and how to love our neighbors. So it turns out that we're all a lot more like three-year-olds than we like to admit. You see, three-year-olds or six-year-olds or adults, we all think we know all that we need to know. And we're all wrong. And that's a big part of the answer to the question, what's wrong with the world? We don't like being told what to do, even when it's for our own good. We don't like being told no. This even applies to civil rulers and politicians. Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm that speaks of the Son of God, but it opens with these words, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth 
set themselves and the rulers take counsels together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. In other words, leaders don't like being bound by the law of God either. They don't want to be accountable or answerable to anyone. They want to be a law to themselves. They want to break free of those, what they describe as bonds or cords. They, like the rest of us, want to do their own thing. We all want to be autonomous, which is simply a, a word that means self-law. We all want to be God. The problem is the job's too big for us. It would be like putting the three-year-old in charge of a major corporation. In our case, we would just want to run the entire world. But when we try to, we make a mess of things and it all goes wrong. It goes wrong for us and it goes wrong for the world. Now let's start on a small scale and ask the question. Just another illustration here. What is one of the first things you would do if you undertook to organize a new club? Even among children, the answer is pretty obvious. We need to set up some rules or some bylaws. It's so essential and so elementary that we, we really almost say it without thinking. It's the rules or the laws that mark out the structure or the skeleton of a society of any people. Any people. Lawless families and societies are not happy places. It's the legal system that identifies a community or a nation and identifies its boundaries. Every law, you see, imposes someone's morality. Um, that's an inescapable concept. Its purpose is to preserve the existence and the identity of a group as a whole. The law sets forth the terms that every individual must observe for the sake of the rest of the society. The end and the purpose, you see, of God's law in this world is to protect society as a whole. It is about justice. It is about love. The law instructs us how to love God and how to love our neighbor, and in addition, it protects the innocent from evil. Clearly, the lawgiver, in any case, is the highest authority for any people. And so the origin of a, of a people's, of a society's law is its God. The French Revolution self-consciously sought to overthrow Christianity in particular, the God of the Bible, and replaced it with a term, the Latin term is vox populi, vox dei, which translated means the voice of the people is the voice of God. We will rule ourselves. And when the law of God gets replaced with our own words and ideas, we get the results that we see today. That is what's wrong with the world. Without God's law, there is no love. Chaos and lawlessness are the products of having to have a love without God's law. And so love is not a substitute for law. There's never been more talk about love and at the same time more lawlessness than in our own day. And I might add, no more hatefulness. When God's law is diminished, love is diminished. And the opposite of love is not grace. The opposite of of, of uh, the opposite of, of uh, law, excuse me, the opposite of law is not grace. The opposite of law is lawlessness. 
Our text today begins with verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. When it comes to love, God and his law, uh, loving God and his law, we have stepped into a new world. A world where things are being put back together. When, once God's law is reestablished, the world starts being put back together. The world starts being turned right side up. What's wrong with the world is sin. That's it. That's the answer. Sin separates us from God. It separates us from one another. And loving God and doing what He commands is the remedy. But our text today ends with verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You see, my problem is I have a rebel heart that's inclined away from God and toward myself. I'm selfish. I want to be God. I want to be in charge. I want to make all the rules. I want to make the laws, and so do you. This broken world is full of demigods. But God still loves us, and so he moved to rescue us from ourselves. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus was the perfect law keeper. He loved God. He loved us. He took our sins. He took our law-breaking upon himself. He became our substitute. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. And so he starts to fix the broken world by starting to fix me starting to fix you. In this broken world, even the toughest person is afraid. We'll go to great lengths to hide it, to pretend. But Jesus came to do something about that. In 1 John 4, 18 and 19, it says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Perhaps you need some fixing as well. God starts by holding up his beautiful, righteous law. And as we look at it, the next thing that happens is it reveals something about ourselves. Through the knowledge of the law comes the knowledge of sin. The Bible tells me, that I have fallen short, way short. Tells me that I am dead in my trespasses and sins, which means I can't help myself. And so I want to close this morning, and we'll talk more about this next Lord's Day. But I want to close with some very beautiful, hopeful words about what God is doing to fix the, the broken world. From Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not as a result of works, that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created for good works, that is, keeping his law, following his commands, loving him, loving God, loving our neighbors, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Holy and righteous Father, creator of the universe and our creator, by our disregard for your law, we have sought to be our own gods and have offended your holiness. As a result, we're broken. The world is broken. Sin is ugly and hateful, and as a result, we are surrounded by turmoil and strife. O Lord, have mercy on us and rescue us through your righteous Son who bore our sins on the cross. We are grateful for the promise of your authoritative word, which says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.